You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host, Ryan Blake. back to Give That Fan a Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Blake. This is episode number four. I hope you all are surviving election week. It has been a crazy time in America. I'm not sure by the time this is posted if we will know for sure who has won the election, but regardless, this is not a political podcast. I don't like talking about politics. I'm not going to talk about politics. This is a baseball show. Let's talk some baseball. My guest in this episode, I might catch a little heat from Royal fans for having this guy on. He's known primarily among Oil fans as being a former Red Sox fan, which aren't exactly words we like to hear. But he's nationally known for being a CBS Sports NFL insider. He's got a local show on 1057 The Fan with Ken Weinman called Inside Access. He's the former co-host of the Be More Opinionated podcast with Jerry Coleman. Jason Lockenfora is my guest on episode four. We had a really great discussion. Like I said, a lot of Oil fans don't necessarily like this guy. Being a former Red Sox fan and all, they don't think he is a true Orioles fan. I had a good conversation with him. I would argue otherwise, but I will let you all be the judge of that by the time the interview is over. To address a couple things that have happened since we recorded the interview, there was an article posted in the Baltimore Sun, and the headline said, Potential Orioles bidders line up in hopes the Angelos family decides to sell. Now, obviously that's an attention-grabbing headline. It sent Orioles fans into a little bit of a spiral on social media on Friday. However, if you read the article, there's really not a lot of substance to it. All it really says is that if the Orioles choose to sell, there are potential bidders who may be interested. It mentions that Peter Angelos is in poor health. And and then it goes on to say that the family has shown no interest in selling. Uh, It mentions that the Orioles are uh, close to a new lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority for the club to remain at Oriole Park at Camden Yards which would be the case for the next probably 20, 25 years. There's really nothing to that article. There's nothing that we didn't know already. The Orioles aren't going to move to Nashville. The Angelos family family probably isn't going to sell. In fact, we were just told, I believe it was yesterday, that John Angelos is now the primary owner of the Orioles and that the responsibilities now fall with him. So there's really nothing to be had there. It's nothing to worry about. The Orioles aren't going to go anywhere. They're probably not going to get sold. And even if they do, they're not moving out of Baltimore anytime soon. So I'm going to go ahead and nip that in the bud real quick. Also, the Orioles picked up their $3.5 million option to retain shortstop Jose Iglesias for the 2021 season. That was a move that a lot of Oriole fans were hoping for, one that we perhaps were unsure would happen considering all the budget cuts that the Orioles are going through and, and really that all baseball teams are going through. We've seen guys like Brad Hand get their options declined. Uh, so... The Orioles, we weren't sure if the Orioles were going to retain Iglesias. Fortunately, they did. He's going to sure up some things up the middle for us with the addition of Yomer Sanchez. Hopefully, he'll play some second base. And I think that'll help the young pitchers in the long run. You know, it'll be good to have guys who are sound defensively playing behind them. So I'm glad they picked up the option, and, and hopefully that, that bodes well for us in 2021, especially considering guys like Richie Martin, Gunnar Henderson, not quite ready to man shortstop for the Orioles yet. 
So those are a couple headlines from this past week. And let's go ahead and dive into our interview with Jason LaConfora. CBS Sports NFL insider and analyst. That's how many people know him. And if you're local, you know him from the Be More Opinionated podcast. And now with Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan. Great afternoon show with Ken Wyman. Jason LaConfora, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I want to start with a subject that is a little touchy for some people. And I've been a part of this myself as a, a Tampa Bay Lightning and Portland Trailblazers fan. And that is switching allegiances. And I've, I've noticed that a lot of fans, you know, are on both sides of the spectrum. Some of them are, uh, you know, more receptive to people joining over. And others, it seems to be, you know, if you weren't here from the beginning, um, then what are you doing here? And you personally did that uh, interdivision for the Orioles. You were a Red Sox fan. You said you grew up an Orioles fan, and then you started watching Roger Clemens, and you became a big Red Sox fan. And then when you ended up back in the area – it didn't really make sense for you to keep rooting for the Red Sox. You're always taking your kids to Orioles games. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, that tradition. And you've touched on this before. There was an article posted, I believe, in, uh, in 2014 down in D.C. Um, but talk a little bit about that. And, and you mentioned in that article you detest the Red Sox now, which is a really fun quote to hear. So um, talk a little bit about that yeah. and what that transition was like. Sure. I mean, I grew up in Baltimore. I was a Colts fan, was an Orioles fan. Um, I do think in some way that the Colts leaving, like subconsciously, maybe kind of changed. You know, they, they left and I was like nine years old. Um, I think it, it kind of like opened my eyes a little bit maybe or just subconsciously just kind of maybe changed, altered what I thought fandom was, you know, because the Colts left. We didn't have a team anymore. It was really weird. Um, and I started – following the San Diego Chargers because they were just so much fun to watch at the time. And they had an innovative offense and they were just kind of zigging when everybody else zagged. And so I don't know, that might have had some effect on it that, you know what, like this can, this, this doesn't have to be like a normal kind of, you grew up in one place and that's all, you know, and that's all you root for. Um, but went to the 83 world series, huge Orioles fan. Eddie Murray's my favorite player, you know, love to go to opening day. Um, Never disliked the Orioles, but started like to develop this crush on the Red Sox um, in middle school. And I became fascinated with Ted Williams. And I read, you know, my turn at bat. And then I started finding any articles I could find about um, Ted Williams. And I read John Updike's um, amazing piece. I think it ran originally in Esquire, Hub Fans Bid Kid a Duke about um, Ted Williams' final game. And oddly enough, it was against the Orioles and he hit a home run off John Miller. And I just was a baseball junkie and, and really like collected baseball cards, try to get as many Ted Williams cards as I could. And just sort of became fascinated with the, the history of the Red Sox and this team that just could never win. Um, and, you know, and then read, you know, Shaughnessy's the curse of the Bambino. And then, you know, I didn't really, it just sort of happened. Like I can remember being in Ocean City and it was right after Clemens struck out 20 Mariners. And like, I, like they'd have all the shops, you know, along the boardwalk. And I would always get like an Eddie Murray, you know, jersey or whatever. And I, I remember asking, they had this store and they could put any name and number on any jersey. And I just remember asking for, you know, Roger Clemens, number 21. And my, my dad being like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And, it, you know, the 86 World Series was unbelievable 
And I, you know, I went in rooting for the Red Sox, like, cause I liked them, but like, I don't even know then I would have said they're my team, but the way that world series went, it just something kind of washed over me. And I was like, man, like, I, I can't believe that happened. Like, I can't believe they blew this world series the way they did. Right. Um, and maybe I was a glutton for punishment because I was a huge Capitals fan growing up. I don't mm-hmm. really have an NHL team anymore, but I was a massive Capitals fan. And they were always collapsing in the playoffs. And I don't know, like, I guess that's, that's <laughs> choke teams were, were my thing, man, you know? Yeah, hey, I get um, it. So I just started becoming kind of, you know, rooting for the Red Sox. Um, I, I, don't even, I don't think it was like a, even a decision. It just kind of happened. Whereas when I dropped them, it was a definite decision. Um, yeah. But it's not like I didn't root for the Orioles. Like I grew up at Memorial Stadium. I'd take the bus there. We'd go get autographs. Like Frank Robinson would see the same kids in front of the stadium all the time. He would leave us tickets sometimes. Um, you know, like guys like Renee Gonzalez would leave us tickets sometimes. We'd go to the hotels where the team stayed and get autographs. So like, I had no issues with the Orioles, but I started developing this passion for the Red Sox. And then eventually, you know, you get to be an adult and we had kids, you know, we had Chloe, our first, and it was one thing when I was covering the, the red, the capitals and the Washington football team for the, uh, for the Washington post. It's one thing when you're living in like Northern Virginia and I'm not getting to games at Camden yards all that often. Um, But once we moved back to this area in 08, like, once we moved to Towson, I was just kind of like, what, you know what I mean? Like why, just because this is like, just because I sort of fell for this team when I was 12 years old or whatever, like, I don't really have to do this anymore. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, yeah. I my kids have no allegiance to the Red Sox. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to raise my kids as Red Sox fans. <laughs> and I've always liked the Orioles. I had no, I had no, like no expectations for the Orioles whatsoever. Like, I'm like, this might just be another phase of my life where I root for a team for 25 years. That doesn't, you know what I mean? That, that doesn't do a damn thing. Yeah. You never and know. So, and it's, and if so, that's fine. But like, we're back in the area. Um, I want to, I want to go to a lot of minor league games. I want to take my kids to minor league games. I want them to love baseball. Like I love baseball and we're going to root for the Orioles. And then if at some point they decide that's not their team, you know what I mean? That's, that's totally cool, but I'm going to raise them. Like I was raised. And so I just remember being at my brother-in-law's down in um, Athens, Georgia, where they, where they live. They're from this area, but that's where they live now. And like, just telling them one spring and like, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm not rooting for the Red Sox anymore. Like everybody I told, they're like, jaws dropped. They're like, what? They're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm over it. Like I'm done. You know, I've always liked the Orioles. They were like my second team. Now they're my only team. Like, I don't, I don't need, I don't care anymore. Like I'm just, I want, I, you know, this is how I want to raise my kids and this is what I want to do. And a lot of people were skeptical. Like you, that, that, your brain doesn't work that way. Like that, that's not fandom. And I'm like, I don't know. That's my fandom. Like, I'm telling you, this is happening. And even I kind of wondered like, will I, w- would I just like, how into this will I get? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and everybody has their reasons, you know. Like I, I went from being when I first started watching basketball. I was never really into basketball and hockey because Baltimore didn't have a team. Yeah, you know, and the closest thing we have are the Capitals and and the Wizards. And you know, I've tried to get into DC sports. It just hasn't been for me. And then I went to my first hockey game in Tampa Bay in March of 2017, and I just had an absolute blast. A friend of mine who was a Lightning fan took me to the game, 
And I just absolutely fell in love. And I've been rooting for the Lightning ever since. And Capitals fans don't like that because I had tried to be a Caps fan in the past. It just didn't happen for me. And then same deal with the Wizards. It, it wasn't for me. I was uh, rooting for the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder at one point because I loved Kevin Durant. But then uh, the Portland Trailblazers drafted Jake Lehman out of Maryland, and I hopped yep. on their bandwagon because Lehman was my favorite college player. So, you know, everybody has their reasons. And, you know, I wasn't a rival fan for 12 years, but, you know, I get it. You know, you want to be local. You want to be in the area. And uh, we'll talk about um, – I'm going to skip ahead in my notes a little bit because you mentioned minor league baseball and taking your kids to minor league games. And there's been a lot of discussion recently about major league baseball downsizing the minor leagues. Yeah trying to convert some of the teams and, and leagues into, uh, you know, college wood bat leagues or whatever it may be, uh-huh. extra instructional leagues. So um, what is the, um, the importance of minor league baseball? What does it personally mean to you? Because I know I see you at, at – well, I don't personally see you, but I know you're at, at Bowie Games in Frederick, and, and you go all over the place trying to see these minor league players. So uh, what does minor league baseball mean to you? I always was sort of fascinated with prospects, like as a kid, and maybe it's from like collecting cards and like – you know, subscribing to Baseball America and reading about, you know, who they thought the best prospects were and all these different, um, you know, different franchises and and different leagues. And I I don't know, I just, there's something cool about that experience, especially for kids. I mean, this is obviously all pre-COVID and who knows what, you know, fan experiences are going to be like moving forward. But the parks are so different and the players are so accessible and, everything's more intimate and, and these, these guys are busting their ass and they're not, they're making like below a living wage, you know, and yeah. it's a real struggle. Like, you know, there's a couple guys on every team who got seven figures to sign maybe, but it's not that many. And it takes a lot of dudes to get through a minor league baseball season with injuries and churn and guys just not being, you know, having sort of hit their, Hey, this guy we don't need to see another 20 games out of him at double a you know what i mean this is the end of the road it's tough man and these kids are, are facing their career mortality at age 22 23 24 and i just yeah. find it incredibly compelling um and so yeah we we started going to games um probably really started going to more minor league games i guess it's probably been rocco's gonna be 14 probably six seven years ago right around the Mount Castle draft class. So yeah, what was that? 20, was that 20, probably 2015. Yeah. Mount Castle was 2015. Yeah. yeah. 2015 is when we probably maybe went to a couple games in 2014. And then 2015 was like the first year where uh, I was like, well, we're going to, let's go try to see at least one game in each, you know, at each affiliate. Right. And then it became an annual spring thing where as soon as the schedules come out, I'd try to find a place between home games or road games where like we could, in the span of like five days, we'd see all the, you know, we'd see all the affiliates in one trip. And then once we started doing that and my kids saw different ballparks, um, they really, they really enjoyed it, you know? And, and let's face it. It's not like the Orioles have played a ton of meaningful regular season games in the last few years. So it's not like, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm missing the Orioles game. You know what I mean? And it's like, you can still follow on your phone, but like, you know, it, it, it's to the point now, like where there's and the MILB TV app is, is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. You can watch, you know, games on every level. Now, the, you know, New York Penn League, not that that's going to exist anymore anyway, but, you know, New York Penn League, South Atlantic League, some of those stadiums didn't have a feed. But once you got to high A and above, you could pretty much watch every game. Um, not the greatest camera angle. Sometimes it's just a house feed. But regardless, it gets be to the point where 
I'm watching the Orioles game and I've got Bowie on my phone and I've got, you know, uh, Norfolk on the laptop. So yeah, it just became a passion of ours. And it's, it's just really cool that like, you know, when Trey Mancini gets called up and like, we're at Yankee stadium and we wave to him and he's like, Hey Rocco, you know what I mean? Because he's, he's yeah. you know I mean? known him since we started going to games in Frederick. Like exactly. you, can't, you can't put a price on that. So, um, and I re- really just respect their grind and, and the hustle and it's hopefully over time. And with this realignment, these guys get better compensated and some of these facilities are upgraded, but it just, you know, you saw what happened at the draft. Like it's, it's, it, they always get the, the, the developmental side of it, the minor leagues always get the short end of the stick because they're never going to be the revenue giant. Um, and some teams look at them as a sunk cost and they're always trying to find ways to trim the fat. That's not the fat down there, but it gets treated like it's the fat. Yeah, unfortunately. And I, I didn't really understand minor league baseball myself until I was a bat boy with the Bay Sox a few years ago. I did that in 2016 oh, wow. and, and that was a really fun time. But yes, you, you kind of get to realize that, you know, like you said, the intimacy of it, the players are accessible and anybody who wants to complain about the cost of going to Camden Yards to see a game, that's fine. Go down to Bowie for take 20 bucks, get yourself a ticket right behind home plate, a hot dog and a beer and watch some baseball for $20. I mean, well, and, and the scouts are sitting right there and Hey, what do you think of this prospect? What do you think of that? Pro-? Like I've learned a lot just from going to some of those games. And then, you know, you see that, you know who they are. They're sitting there with the freaking guns in their hand and Hey, what, you know, do you think this kid has a shot or what, you know, what do you think DL Hall needs to work on? And um, what did you have him at? Oh, wow. You had him at 98. Uh, it, yeah. It, I don't know. Like, and it's quality baseball. It's not like, you don't, you're not watching a high school game or, you know, like these guys are legit. You get the double a, you're a hell of a baseball player. Yeah. And even French Carolina league is a, is a good freaking league. I mean, it just is. look at how many players have come through the Carolina league. I mean, Frederick hosted the Carolina league all-star game last year. And a lot of the best players weren't there because they already got called up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Louis, Louis, Robert, Robert, and uh, you know, Madrigal had already been called up, but a bunch of guys we saw with Winston Salem early in the year had already been called up. But like Leoli Tavares was in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, he was with Texas all year. You know what I mean? Like there was a bunch of kids we saw. I mean, even some kids we saw in the South Atlantic league last year is, 20 year olds or 19 year olds were in the majors this year. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate for the minor leagues. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to be able to see those young guys in action. I mean, everybody's got something to play for, like you already said. So people are fighting for their jobs. People are fighting for, you know, a call up and a new opportunity. So the level of competition is, is a lot of fun. And I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough. If you can make it out to a minor league game, by all means do it. The only Orioles affiliate I haven't been to is Norfolk and I've been aching to get down there at some point. So they've got a nice stadium. It's a cool ballpark. Yeah. You should definitely check it out. Yeah. And especially as as Orioles fans, we're incredibly lucky to have everybody so local as well. I mean, the the Nationals AAA affiliates in California, not every team is as lucky as we, and, and I, based on, you know, the average proximity of each team, we have the closest minor league system in baseball. So it's, it's oh, really absolutely. cool that we have a great opportunity to have everybody really right in our backyard. And, and you know, we go – we've seen the Bay Sox at, at, in New Hampshire um, at the Fisher Cat Stadium. We've, we've seen them uh, – we've, we've, uh, the setup in Reading is really cool. They've got a really cool ballpark there. Um, Trenton. Uh, Wilmington, you know, we'll go to Wilmington and see the Keys play. Up. And, again, a lot of this is going to change when they realign this thing. Yeah. Um, but we've seen them 
uh, on the road in a couple different spots. Um, you know, Hagerstown, this, it, it's not a great stadium, but there's so much history there. I mean, it's like the second oldest ballpark uh, in the country, I think, next to the, the one in Asheville, which we had planned to go to this past summer as part of a trip we had put together with, with my brother-in-law who lives down in Georgia. But that obviously got scrapped. Um, but yeah, Hager's, uh, Harrisburg has a, I love that. We love that the, the Harrisburg park. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've been there, but I mean, it's really cool. It's like on an Island off. It's not really like actually in the city. There's like this sort of Island and they've got like bumper boats and all this stuff you could do like in the water there, right at the ballpark. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. I haven't it, been to Harrisburg. Yeah, we, I've been to Hagerstown. Yeah. We've been to um, a bunch of them in the region. Uh, and and yeah, that that's something we we try to do every summer too is take a um, a road trip to see some of these different parks. Cool. Well, let's let's uh, stay on the topic of of minor leaguers and some of the the ones we saw come up and make an impact for the Orioles this year. Obviously, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken were big in the rotation, uh, but the one who really stood out to all of us was Ryan Mountcastle. And let's be honest with ourselves it's it's easy to, to overreact to rookie performances, and Mountcastle's sure. not going to hit three thirty forever, you know. But it was encouraging to see him, you know, work, work the count, draw some walks, yes. get for a little bit of power, and get on base at a consistent clip. Uh, what was your reaction to yes. Mount Castle, and, and how do you think – should we temper our expectations a little bit, or is what we've seen what we're going to get, do you think? I, I mean, look, I, I have been super impressed with him really all the way through. He just always and, – and I got to know his family a little bit from being at some of these games, so you get a little bit of insight into what makes some of these kids tick and, and sort of how, how motivated some of them are and, and, you know, how high some of them set their goals. And the more I learn about this kid, the more I'm like, he's, this is, this is going to be a thing. Like this guy's going to hit between the three and the six spot for this team, as long as they can afford him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got a great hit tool. Uh, every time they've asked him to do something, He's taken it to heart and tried to apply it at the next level. He's always gotten on base. He he's got, I told Kenny, like when we were advocating for him to be called up sooner than he was like, this guy's going to power alley to power alley. He's going to wear stuff out. He's going to hit a ton of doubles. Um, he's going to get a lot of extra base hits. I think of him as more of a 25 homer guy. Maybe he turns out to be more than that. Um, but hopefully not at the expense of his approach. Uh, I thought I didn't think anything would be too big for him up here. I didn't think he'd be shell shocked. I didn't think he'd be like, Oh my God, can I do this? He's his mentality is going to be like, I can do this. Like I I've been waiting my whole life to get a chance to hit these kind of guys. I'm going to hit them. Like I was born to hit a freaking baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the fielding thing, I I don't know why the old regime didn't move him to a, a position other than short or third a lot sooner than they did. I, I guess they wanted to prove themselves right. I don't know, but I don't think they did him any favors with how they handled that stuff. Um, right. And I think he'll be like, he, the tooth, the only things that surprised me about him were somehow some way he got faster. Like I never thought of him as a guy who was a, you know, beat out infield hits. Like I remember we're sitting there watching games with my son who's seen a lot of them too. My oldest son. I'm like, dude, I never like, and not that he's a try-hard guy, but I'm like, Rocco, like, how, if, there's no, like, he doesn't beat that ball out in double A. <laughs> and those fielders aren't nearly as fast as these guys. You know what I mean? They're not getting right. the ball out of their glove that quickly. I'm like, how many times have we seen Ryan Mountcastle play from Delmarva all the way up? I don't, that's like not, I didn't think of that as part of his game. And he played left field better than I thought he would. 
And so shame on me for even doubting that part of it. But I just, I'm like, look, I mean, he's never really done it. And now they're kind of in this quasi playoff race and they're going to throw him in the left field for the first time in game situations. I mean, he played a little bit at, at Norfolk, but he played most of that year at first. I mean, every time we saw him that year, he was at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're, you're oh, certainly not alone in, in doubting, not necessarily doubting, but not being exactly encouraged by where he'd be in the field. You know, that's been the thing ever since he was drafted. He was drafted as a shortstop, has made time at that third, first, second, right, left, and now he's he's pretty much locked into left field. And you know, we'll see what happens with the Orioles outfield log jam in the coming years. Yeah, but- I, I think I think I think he's going to end up at first base because they just have they have a lot of outfielders. You know, and I, yeah. I, we'll see. I, I can't imagine this Chris Davis thing goes on too much longer. Hopefully, yeah, you know, he can't keep clogging people's opportunities up. They're going to need first base to be able to move Trey there. Sometimes, you know, Ryan there sometimes. Uh, so let's let's talk about that a little bit with, you know, you mentioned we have a lot of outfielders and we've got Trey God willing coming back from his diagnosis last year. And uh, so where do you see the, the outfield taking shape? We got a lot of guys, Yusniel Diaz ready to come up. Uh, in the infield, we've got Ryland Bannon, who's perhaps ready and would need to be added to the 40-man roster and right. protected from the Rule 5 draft. So how do you think that uh, that situation shapes up going into next season? Well, th- this, these guys seem to be willing to err decidedly on the side of caution, which I get. So I don't think they're going to be in a rush to get Diaz up, even though he spent a lot of time at A. Now, I didn't get the number of games you'd like because there were some injury situations. Um, but he's another guy we've seen a lot. I mean, we were at the first game he played um, when they acquired him. We saw, I think, that entire series. We, we've seen a lot of him. We saw a lot of him in the playoffs with Bowie, home and uh, road. He he needs, like, I, I I don't think you'll see the the best in him until he is on the big stage. You know, I, I think he's someone who the more you challenge him, the better he is. The more that's on the line, the more engaged and sort of activated um, he is, I love his arm. Um, he's got good, you know, he's, he's, he's quick. He's, he's very athletic. Is he going to be a guy who steals a ton of bases? I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see about his instincts and, and, you know, he's going to have to be coachable in that aspect, but I really like him. I like him a lot. I, I think he, you know, is he going to be a star? I, I don't think so. Could he be a re- everyday corner outfield in the major leagues? I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. Uh, but because of that log jam and because of the lost season, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to see him, you know, next April, but yeah, he, he should be in the, in the equation at some point in 2021, you know, Santander, I'm a big fan of his. I, I, I mean, I said before the season on our show that this guy's going to play in multiple all-star games. I, I fully believe that. Now, I didn't think he'd be in the MVP equation, but it's also a weird year. Um, but no, I think he's legit. I think Trey Mancini, um, is the heart and soul of this franchise and um, he's capable of having all-star seasons and center field, you know, if Hayes and Mullins rotating, you know, Mullins as a fourth outfielder, I'm, you know, or maybe he's not, maybe, maybe Austin Hayes becomes the fourth out, but those two sort of competing or, or, or toggling back and forth as the everyday center fielder or playing that verse, you know, based on matchups and the opposing pitcher, um, I can live with that. So, yeah, I think Diaz joins that group at some point in 2021. I don't know that anybody else does. You know, I would think Ryan McKenna is a guy who they'd probably want to see his development at, at close to a full year at AAA to see where that hit tool is. But, man, you know, 
that year in Frederick, when he and Melcastle were there together, you know, and every, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Hayes, and everybody's going crazy about Austin Hayes. Ryan McKenna got himself promoted pretty quickly as well. I mean, Ryan he McKenna sure all the first half that year in Frederick as well. Um, but I, I, I don't, I think he's probably projects more as a fourth outfielder now. Is Does he, you know, can he beat out Cedric Mullins at some point for that? Uh, well, you know, we'll see. And in terms of the infielders, I don't know. I don't know what this regime, you know, necessarily thinks of, of, of Ryland Bannon. I, I like him. Um, I, I don't know that he'll have a set position. I, I, I think he's probably going to be maybe more of a utility guy. Um, and then when you look at what some of these utility guys can offer, Richie Martin, he's got, a, you know, his, his, he's got game-changing speed. That's not Ryland Bannon. You know what I mean? And, right. and Martin can play shortstop and Ryland Bannon can't. So that's probably not a path. Stevie Wilkerson could play. He could probably catch if you needed him to. Probably. You know what I mean? And Stevie Wilkerson, he did hit 12, 13 home runs, right, in, in the major leagues. And yeah. he's got some pop. And I, I just – I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know that Ryland Bannon beats out Stevie Wilkerson. And those two not being available all last year, I think, was a big deal. You know, and, and while Vileka was interesting, you know, Velasquez played a whole lot more than I think anybody expected, and, and he's not here. You know, I don't know what these guys think of Dilson Herrera. I was intrigued by Dilson Herrera. Dilson Herrera looked like he came at 26, maybe was figured some things out about a power bat. So even with all the spots in the 40-man roster, you know, Ryland, the, I kind of like Mason McCoy a little more. Mason McCoy is faster. Um, Mason McCoy could play shortstop in a pinch. Um, so that's another guy who where they're looking at a numbers game I don't know. Like, what what are the odds that you trade? You get five players for Manny Machado, and they all play in the major leagues. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's not that's not very high. That's that doesn't happen very often, right? Kramer's yeah. there. Diaz is on the cusp. Zach Pop would already been there if he didn't have the the surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, if he didn't have Tommy John, and I I, I definitely think they're protecting Zach Pop. Um, and yeah, I think Zach Pop factors into their bullpen sooner rather than later. You know. Um, the other utility guy, the Bre- Brekulik Valera, he already played in the majors with the Orioles. Yeah, he's like a journeyman now. Yeah, the odds would tell me that not all five of those dudes, you know what I mean, end up right. playing games for the team they got traded to. Uh, so he's someone who I think them lose, losing last season and then Gunnar Henderson looking like the real deal and them finding utility guys on the street who kind of intrigued them still to some degree. And then them drafting so many infield, you know what I mean? Them making such right. an emphasis on infielders. <sighs> I don't know. I'll be interested to see whether they protect them or not. I don't. I, I, my hunch is they might not because I don't think they think someone else would would you know take them in the Rule Five draft. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, it, you never know, like you said. And and McCoy and Bannon are guys I saw a lot when I was out in Arizona last year for the fall league. And you know, two guys who definitely have utility potential. McCoy, like you said, more likely to you know plug in at shortstop when you need him, but. Bannon reminds me a lot of, of Ryan Flaherty. And if he does get that opportunity to play in the bigs, he's going to be splitting most of his time between second and third. And he could be that guy, like people were saying with Flaherty, well, if he gets a full season of at-bats, he might be a 20-homer guy. And that might be shooting a little high for him. But he does have the power. He's hit double-digits home runs most season. He'll steal a few bags. But like you said, he's not a burner. You know, if you want someone with speed, Mason McCoy's your guy there, or Richie Martin. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They would always say, like, we didn't see, excuse me, a ton, because he didn't play a ton. 
but the guys on that team, like you'd read interviews and they'd be like, Ryan Flaherty's the best athlete on this team. You know what I mean? Like Ryan yeah. Flaherty might be the fastest guy on this team. You know what I mean? That's not Ryland yeah. Bannon. Like if you had to throw Ryan Flaherty in center field for a game, you could, you could maybe get through it. You know what I mean? And we've seen Stevie Wilkerson play center field in crazy ballparks that are not easy to play. I, that's not, you know what I mean? That's not good. That's not Ryland Bannon. So I just don't, right. and these guys really prize athleticism, right? They keep drafting shortstops because they're like, if you can play short, you can play anywhere, you know? Right. So I don't know if he fits the bottle of this regime. It's just, I don't know. I don't know anything. You know what I mean? That's just me looking at who they draft, what they prize, what they did this year when they're two speedy utility guys went down and, and having had Hyde on the show a few times and him making it clear that like this go, go O's thing is real. Like we think that's an inefficiency we can exploit. Like nobody, you know, money ball, whatever you want to say, everybody's down on the stolen base. Well, maybe not us. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, but I like Ryan a lot. He's a great kid. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, I think he will play in the majors at some point. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. He's, it's kind of a quirky situation here. Yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens. Like you said, there's a lot of depth in the farm system now. Gunnar Henderson looks legit. He was a sponge soaking up all the information he could from Rutschman at the, the alternate site. Um, quick note, you mentioned D.L. Hall earlier. I saw a report the other day that he was pretty consistently touching 100, which is really, really exciting to see. Just hoping to get, get that control down. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Miners. You know, the Orioles acquired Taron Vavra from the Rockies and looks like he's going to be a second baseman. Uh, so, and they're, they've been drafting a lot of up the middle guys, a lot of shortstops, a lot of second basemen. And, uh, so they've got some options to work with and we'll see, it'll, it'll be determined hopefully by the end of next year, if, if Bannon's part of the future plans, but, um, you know, like you said, there's, there's some talent there and we'll see what we're working with. Um, so now to wrap this up, uh, the Orioles exceeded expectations in 2020. They won 25 out of 60 games, which was more than anybody was expecting, um, we, we've already talked about some contributions from the youngsters. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from the season? And do you think it's easier to win when you go in with, with low expectations? You can kind of play a little bit more relaxed. Cause I, I, I feel like I've seen that a lot in the past. Yeah. I think there's probably something to that mentality, you know, and, and you always hear managers or coaches, regardless of the sport, you know, not wanting guys to read their press clippings or not wanting guys to think, Oh, well, you've got the best team. So you don't know, just show up and play. So yeah, I think proving people wrong, having that chip on your shoulder um, and, and people taking you for, for granted or thinking you're less than can, can help motivate a team and, and be a part of their psyche. And I feel like these guys embodied that uh, albeit short sample size, but um, for, for this season, the, the thing that I was, most heartened by was, and I thought it would happen, but it's one thing to think it's another to see it is that the pitching would be markedly better that the bullpen would take major steps because some of these power arms would, would, would get it together, would, would, would find, you know, would, would figure some stuff out with the help of, of all the, um, you know, with, with the help of this stratus that they're setting up with Holton and those coaches and that, um, the starting rotation would be better as well um, yeah. that they would have a few guys who develop into trade chips and that they would have starting pitchers who made these games compelling to watch that you wouldn't feel like by the third inning, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? This guy will never get out of this inning. It's, it's, um, it's a tough watch. Yeah. So that, that was huge. Um, and, the, and they started to 
be a more athletic team, that the, the transition away from the, the beer league softball teams that Duquette put together, the, the, that identity is, is, is very much changing. You know, and even some of these guys who are producing the power, like Santander, and that's a, a huge feather in Duquette's cap, him personally. Uh, there's more to their game, you know what I mean, than, than just, you know, seeing how far they could hit a ball, you know, any given at bat. So, yeah, I just think the personality of the team is huge. Um, the pitching took a major step in the right direction, and that's more to come. And also, you could see that with what they do, they're going to continue to, even if not all these kids are going to pan out as starters, but they're going to continue to be able to turn minor league arms into, if not major league starters, quality bullpen pieces that will allow them to keep flipping these bullpen pieces to help restock the farm system with position players in some areas where they, they, you know, where they inherited that were very lean. So I, I'm, I think that pipeline, that sort of, um, equation will remain huge for them um, as they try to become more and more competitive. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard not to be encouraged by everything we've seen. I mean, the, the team ERA improved by over a run this year, played a more complete game on offense. It wasn't, you know, three true outcome kind of team. And right. uh, it's, it's exciting to see. And, and hopefully it's something that'll, that'll stick around with this new regime. And, you know, it's, it's exciting what they've been able to do down at, at the alternate site this year and throughout the farm system the past couple of years. And, we just hope it continues because we, we miss good baseball in Baltimore. We had a little taste of it without really getting over the hump, but um, you know, we hope to be competitors within the next few years. And uh, I think we're, we're on the right track. We just got to hope we stick with the game plan. No, totally. I, I agree. Um, look, next season can't get here soon enough. Hopefully there's a component of the, of the minors involved. Um, hopefully the season starts on time, but you know, at this point that's uh, we got a ways to go till we get there. So ho- hopefully those things, uh, can be part of a much better 2021. Let's hope so. Now, Jason, one more thing for you before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this on, I think, through DM a couple of years ago. You say you don't really check your mentions on Twitter very often. Um, but yeah, I want to give you a chance if you wanted to say anything to Orioles fans who may not feel like you're a true Orioles fan because of that Red Sox thing. And we already, we already talked about the whole subject, but does that bother you? Do you have anything to say to those kind of fans? No. No, I mean, I... <laughs> No, it doesn't bother me. People can say what they want. Um, yeah, I don't. I, that's cool. Like, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really care. You know, I hate to sound like Melania Trump, but I don't on this one. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really care what anybody thinks of my of my fandom. Like, I it's been awesome um, watching my kids grow up and be Orioles fans, and you know, the Delman, you know, being at the Delman Young game, and yeah. like be and just happen to be out in left field, you know, like eight rows back. Like, I mean, that happened right in front of us. Um, yeah. And to be there with my, my brother-in-law and, and, you know, my son, and that's one of, one of the great days, man. Um, so no, I don't, Hey, people are entitled to their own opinion, man. I, if people have opinions about other people's, oh, fandom, yeah. that, no that's, doubt. then that's good, good for them. I don't, I don't have, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not worried about it. Well, I like your attitude on that, and I'll, I'll try to convince some Orioles fans to uh, re-invite you to our inevitable World Series parade in a few years. Nah, I'm not, you know, I, don't, I, I don't think <laughs> you need an invite for that, so I will be good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It was great chatting with you for a bit, and uh, we'll hopefully talk soon. Sounds good, man. Let's go O's.
Well, there you have it. Episode four of Give That Fan a Podcast. That was Jason Lockenfora. I think that buzzing around the 35-minute mark might have been the news of Ronnie Stanley's contract extension with the Ravens going down. So shout out to Jason for for powering through and not uh, ignoring me once some big football news broke because, you know, that's that's right up his alley. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at RyeGuyBlake, at OriolesFanProbs with a Z. Thank you, as always, to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting the pod. And we will be back next week.